For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's teaching, we start part one of a three-part series on Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. Now let's join Pastor Jim with a message entitled, Jesus Prays for Himself. All right, I want to welcome everybody to the sanctuary for tonight's Bible study. And if you have your Bible, why don't you go ahead and bust it open to John's Gospel chapter 17. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you tonight that you have given to us your word, the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit and kept down through the ages by you and by your power, preserved for us today to learn about you, to learn about your ways, and to learn about how to know you better and how to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so tonight, Father, I pray that you would take your powerful word and my simple message and use it to make a difference in our hearts and lives today, because it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, it's been said that if you really want to get to know someone, then you should pray with them, because as you listen to them speak with God, you discover that which is important to them, that which is on their heart, that which is in their mind their desires, their passions, their struggles. So I found this prayer online, and I'm going to read it to you guys, and I want you to see if you can discern what is important to this individual. You guys ready? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my shape to keep. Please no wrinkles, please no bags, and please lift my backside before it sags. Please no age spots, please no gray, and as for my belly, please take it away. (laughs) It's funny, huh? Please keep me healthy, please keep me young, and thank you, dear Lord, for all that you have done. What's important to this person? Their body image and their health, right? You see, when you, when you listen to someone pray, you really discover what's important to that person. You know, my daughter, every time she prays without fail, whether it's at dinner or it's at bedtime or before school, every time she prays, She always prays for her friend Sienna from Sebastopol. We used to live by this little girl. And she prays for her salvation without fail. And then she prays for her friend Anna, who's in heaven right now, prays that she would have a good time in heaven. And so what's important to my daughter? That her friends know Jesus and that they know him well. You see, as you listen to a person pray, you identify that which is meaningful to them. Now, I wonder what's meaningful to the Lord. I wonder what's meaningful to Jesus. What if you could go back 2,000 years and listen to him as he prayed to God the Father? You probably would have a better grasp on that which is significant to him, wouldn't you? Well, over the next three weeks, we're going to travel back in time and put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples who got the privilege to listen in as Jesus lifted his voice up to God the Father. And through our studies together, I believe that each of us will come to have a better understanding of that which is treasured in the heart and mind of Jesus Christ. And if it's important to him, it's important to us. 
Now, a little bit of context before we dive in. It's the eve of Jesus' death. He knows who he is. He knows where he's come from, and he knows where he's going. And he knows the impact it's going to have on the 11 disciples who are there with him. And so he wants to give them some words of encouragement, some words of exhortation. And we find that in John chapters 13 through 16. They have a last meal together. He washes their feet. He talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, how he's going to go away and prepare a place for them. And he's going to come back and take them to be with him. He talks about how he's the vine and they are the branches and how they just need to abide in him. And then in chapter 16, it talks about how they're going to have some tough times, but to be of good cheer, he has overcome the world. And then after he's given them all of these words of encouragement and exhortation, he wants to commit everything to God in prayer. And that's where we're at, John chapter 17. So the way we're going to divide up this text is tonight we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And this is where Jesus prays for himself. And then next week, we're going to look at verses 6 through 19. And Jesus is going to pray for his 11 disciples. And then the following week, we're going to look at verses 20 through 26. And Jesus is going to look down through the corridors of time, and he's going to see your face, and he's going to see your faith, and he's going to pray for you. And so it's going to be an exciting study. So John chapter 17, starting with verse 1. After Jesus said this, said what? John chapters 13 through 16. After he said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Powerful. So Jesus here is praying for himself. This is what we call the true Lord's Prayer. You know, Matthew chapter 6 is often called the Lord's Prayer But Jesus isn't really praying in Matthew chapter 6. He's teaching the disciples how to pray, and he could never really pray that prayer anyways, forgive us our sins, and we can forgive others. Jesus can't pray that prayer because he's sinless. So this is the true Lord's prayer. Now, seven times in the New Testament, Jesus is recorded uh, praying, but this right here, John chapter 17, is by far the longest and therefore the most revealing. Because remember, when you listen to a person pray, you discover what's important to them, what's on their heart, what's on their mind, their desires, their passions, their struggles. So imagine yourself, you're one of the 11 disciples. You've just left the upper room and you're walking with Jesus, it's night. And you're walking towards the garden of Gethsemane. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops. He lifts up his eyes towards heaven and the first words that come out of his mouth are, Father, the time has come. Father, the time has come. 
I think it's important for us to make note of the fact that Jesus really looked forward to this time in his life. He was really looking forward to this moment. He was anticipating it. He was preparing for it. And he was even foretelling it. It's a theme that we see all throughout John's gospel. In John chapter 2, at the wedding of Cana in Galilee, they ran out of wine, and Jesus' mom comes to him and says, they're out of wine, Jesus. Can you help us? And he looks at her, and he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. It was something he was anticipating, something he was preparing for. In John chapter 7 and verse 30 and chapter 8 and verse 20, Jesus had just finished delivering some powerful, powerful sermons that didn't sit well with some people. And so they wanted to arrest Jesus. They wanted to throw him in jail and perhaps even put him to death. But the Bible says that they couldn't do it because his time had not yet come. You see, this was a moment in history that Jesus had been eagerly awaiting, eagerly awaiting. You see, the date was circled in eternity past, and his alarm clock was set, and now it had finally arrived. Now, I think we all know how it feels to be looking forward to something. You know, when you're a kid, you look forward to your birthday or you look forward to Christmas. I mean, it seems like in my home uh, that the day after Christmas, I'm already hearing, Dad, this is what I want for Christmas. There's only 364 more days left. So that's kind of how it is when we're kids. We look forward to those kind of things. And then as we grow up, you know, we look forward to graduating. We look forward to getting a career, maybe meeting our spouse or, or perhaps even retirement. When you're looking forward to something, it can dominate your thoughts. It can be the driving force behind all of your actions. It can be all-consuming. And that's how this time was for Jesus. It's what he lived for. It was his inspiration. And so it was something that he really looked forward to. Now, what exactly was Jesus' prayer request? What was important to him? Well, he says it for us. The time has come. Glorify your son. Jesus is praying for glory. Jesus is praying for glory. Now, what exactly is glory? I think it's critical for us to understand what glory is before we move on. I mean, we talk about God's glory all the time. We sing about God's glory all the time. Glory and glorify, those words are used hundreds of times in the Bible and five times in our passage tonight. What is glory? I've been asking a few people what their opinion of, of the definition of glory is. I got a few blank stares. I got some people who said God's light, God's brilliance. Some people talked about honor esteem, magnificence. I think it's really hard to pinpoint the exact meaning of that word without going to the original languages and, and looking up the definition in a lexicon. Now, the Old Testament word uh, in Hebrew for glory is kavod, and it means to be weighed down. It means weighty. It's used in a figurative sense. 
and it's usually associated with riches, with power, with position, or with esteem. So we think of the glory of Solomon, the weightiness of his position. He's a man who was loaded with riches, loaded with power, the glory of Solomon. So it's a weightiness in a figurative sense. Then in the New Testament, in Greek, the word for glory is doxa, and it means to be of good opinion, so that when people think about you or when they speak of you, uh, nothing but admirable thoughts or admirable words come out of their mouth. So glory means to be loaded with that which causes people to think of you highly or to speak highly of you. And so my personal definition of glory is the wow factor. Glory is the wow factor. It's the display and expression of that which causes us to go wow. We think of the glory of the Pacific Ocean. You go, you stand out there on the beach and you see those waves rolling in, those powerful, powerful waves crashing up against the rocks. And what do you say? Wow. You go walking through Armstrong Woods and those humongous redwood trees that reach up to the heavens and it's so peaceful, it's so quiet and you stand inside of one of those trees and you feel like nothing and you just go, wow. And so glory, my definition is it's the wow factor. And so to glorify something, to glorify a person, to glorify a place or a thing, that's to point out or acknowledge the wow factor. So glory is the wow factor, and to glorify is to point out or to acknowledge that wow factor. I'm a big 49ers fan. Uh, I I hope you guys are too, because if not, we've got some serious problems. A few years ago... I got the privilege to go to one of the Niners games when we were actually good back in 2013. I went with my good buddy, Ronnie Neuerberg, and we went to see the Atlanta Falcons. And so we were probably, we were way better than these guys. They sucked really bad, but I was, so I was excited. I felt like we were going to blow these guys out of the water. And so we go to the game, and one of my favorite players is a linebacker by the name of Navarro Bowman. Now, this dude is a glorious football player. He is loaded with talent, loaded with ability, loaded with muscles. And this night, we were going to see a display of his wow factor. And so it's the fourth quarter. And Ronnie and I are sitting at one end of the football field, right behind the field goal post. And the Atlanta Falcons have the ball. If you, I, I hope you guys all know football. We're winning by three points. And they start at the other end of the field. And so we're thinking, we've got this in the bag. There's like two minutes or three minutes left in the football game. There is no way that the Falcons are going to be able to drive the ball all the way down the field. Well, they started driving the ball down the field and they're getting closer and they're getting closer. They're coming towards us. And so everybody in the crowd is thinking, there's no way we're gonna lose to the Atlanta Falcons. These guys suck. This is impossibility. We can't lose to the Falcons. Now they're at the 10 yard line, 10 yards from scoring a touchdown and beating us. I'm thinking of all the money that I spent on my ticket. 
$200 to come here and watch us lose to the Atlanta Falcons. It's impossible. Then Matt Ryan goes back to pass. He throws the ball. It's deflected. And who comes up and intercepts it? Navarro Bowman. A man who's loaded with this wow factor, this incredible talent and ability, and he runs the ball back all the way to the end zone. And what does the crowd start doing? Everybody starts screaming. Everybody starts yelling, Navarro Bowman, you're the best. What are we doing? We're pointing to him. We're acknowledging him. We're acknowledging his glory. We're glorifying him because he's displaying his wow factor. He's displaying all of his incredible abilities, and it's causing us to go, wow. And so Jesus is praying, glorify me. Point out and acknowledge all of my wow factors for the whole world to see. You see, it was paramount to Jesus, but why? Why was Jesus praying for this glory? Was he some sort of like egomaniac? Was he just self-centered and obsessed with himself? You know, I think of like the MMA fighters and the WWE guys, you know, the wrestling, world wrestling entertainment guys who are all about themselves and all about winning the belt. I want the belt. It is mine. I deserve it. I'm the best. Or the beauty pageants, you know, the girls who are fighting over the crown. The crown is mine. I'm the prettiest girl on the face of the planet. You know, just, sorry, just obsessed with myself. No, that's not Jesus. Jesus is not an egomaniac. He's humble. He's lowly. He's gentle. You see, if I or you, if we were to pray for glory, God, glorify me, that would be bad. I don't recommend you do that. But when Jesus prays for glory, it's a good thing. And there's three reasons why Jesus prays for glory. And the first reason that Jesus prayed to be glorified is because it brings glory to God the Father. When Jesus is glorified, God the Father is glorified. Listen to Jesus. Glorify your son, glorify me, that your son may glorify you. Glorify me so that I can glorify you. And so what is he saying? When I receive glory, you receive glory. And that's because Jesus and the Father are one. They are one being, one essence, our God, the Trinity, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three different persons, but they are one being, they are one essence. And so anytime the Son receives glory, so does the Father. Listen to this scripture, 1 John. There's tons of them. I just picked out one. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father. And so what is that scripture saying? To dishonor the Father, to dishonor the Son is to dishonor the Father. And to honor the Son is to honor the Father. And so Jesus says, glorify me, so that I can glorify you, because we are one. Now, how was Jesus going to be glorified? How was the Father going to point out all of Jesus' wow factors? How was God going to do that? Well, I think we find the answer to that in John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24. Jesus speaking, he said, the time has come There's that theme again. 
The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And unless a kernel of wheat, he's speaking of himself, falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. And then in verse 32, he says, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And the scripture says, he said this to speak of what kind of death he was going to die. And so Jesus says, glorify me. The time of my glorification has come. And this is how it's going to happen. It's going to happen through my death. The death that I experienced from being lifted up. And so it was through his death on the cross that both he and the Father would receive glory. You see, on the cross that Jesus Christ hung on, all of the wow factors of the Godhead would be put on display. The wow factor of God's incredible love is put on display on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Apart from the cross, you don't see that wow factor. You see, the cross shows a, a father who is willing to send his son to die. Romans chapter five and verse eight, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So on the cross, we see the wow factor and the display of God's love, the glory of his love. On the cross, we see the wow factor of God's holiness, his righteousness, his justice, and his wrath. God hates sin, and he must punish it because he is a just and righteous and holy God. And so he takes the sin of the world, every sin that's ever been committed, past, present, and future, and he puts it on the sacrifice, he puts it on the substitute, he puts it on the son of the living God, and he punishes Jesus. On the cross, we see the wow factor of his justice, his righteousness, his holiness, and his wrath. And on the cross, we see the wow factors of God's grace and of God's mercy. His mercy, he doesn't want to give us what we deserve, and so he gives it to Jesus. And then his grace. We see the wow factor of his grace, God giving us what we don't deserve. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And so, through the cross, Jesus is glorified. All of his wow factors are put on display. And when Jesus is glorified, the Father is glorified. Think of the millions of people, including yourself, who have looked at that cross who've looked at the cross that Jesus Christ hung on and just said, wow, you did that for me. You loved me enough to do that. You care about me in that way. That's what I deserve. And yet you, Jesus, you took my place. Wow. Wow, so through the cross, the Father is glorified and Jesus Christ is glorified. 
as we focus on the cross, we glorify God. So if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that lives for the glory and honor of God, then you need to be a cross-focused Christian, focusing on the cross, focusing on all of the wow factors of the Godhead that are put on display there for us. So Jesus prays for glory, first of all, because his glory brings glory to the Father, and secondly, because it brings eternal life to anyone who believes. His glory, his glorification brings eternal life to anyone who believes. Verse two, paraphrased, I pray to be glorified, Father, to endure that cross because that makes eternal life available. And eternal life is to have a relationship with us. I pray to be glorified. I pray to endure the cross because that makes eternal life available. And eternal life is to have a relationship with us. Everybody wants to live forever for the most part. Everybody's looking for the fountain of youth. I mean, that's why the beauty product industry is booming right now. I went uh, for Christmas to buy my wife some uh, magic cream for her face. And uh, <laughs> that's what I call it. And so I went in there, and uh, one of the ladies came up to me. I went into Ulta, because I, I must have looked like I was on a foreign planet or something. And uh, I said, I need some magic cream for my wife. And she said, okay, well, do you want the cheap stuff or the expensive stuff? And I said, well, well take me to the expensive stuff, I guess. So she walks me over there, and she shows me this little jar right here and I was like oh, okay this is this is magic cream it makes you look younger and she's like yeah this is great stuff and uh, I said okay well well how much is it she says seventy dollars and I'm thinking do you get a whole case uh, uh, no it's just the little thing of magic cream now lately this is just a little bunny trail. Lately, people have been coming up to me over the past few months, and they've been saying, man, Jim, you look really tired, and you look, you look sick. And I'm like, I'm not tired at all. I just had like four cups of coffee, and I'm not sick at all. This is just my face now, and so I'm getting older. And so I've found myself lately sneaking into my wife's little makeup box and getting out the magic cream and putting it on, because I'm thinking, this is going to make me younger. This is going to make me look better. So... You see, everybody wants, everybody wants eternal life, whatever that means to them. I found this interesting article. Uh, the headline was, a scientist claims he's found the secret to eternal life. All right? His name is Anatoly Brukov. I can't pronounce his name. He's a Russian. And you guys have probably read the article. It's fascinating. He's the head of the geocryology department over in Moscow. So they discovered this bacteria that's three and a half million years old. And they found it in the permafrost. And I guess it was still alive when they found it. And they're like, oh, this bacteria, it's three and a half million years old. This must be the secret to eternal life. And so we've got to find a way to turn this into uh, the elixir of life. And so what they did was they found a way to turn it into, to, I don't know what they did, but they put it in a, in a needle. And the, and the scientist decided, I'm going to make myself the guinea pig because I want to live forever and I want to prove that this stuff is the key to eternal life. And he injects himself with this three and a half million year old 
bacteria that he found in the permafrost of Russia. I mean, you've got to have a lot of faith to inject yourself with some bacteria that we don't know anything about. You have to have a ton of faith. Clearly, this guy didn't read our passage tonight because Jesus said it's really easy. There's no injections involved. It has nothing to do with bacteria. Eternal life comes simply through connecting with me. It comes simply through connecting with me. I like that, that you can know God intimately. It's an experiential knowledge. It's a, it's a relationship with God that's life-changing and destiny-changing. You know, I remember one of the first things that I ever learned about God before I was a Christian. It was a, an old friend from high school. I bumped into this person, and they began to share with me uh, that they had become a Christian, and they were talking all, all about what God was doing in their life, and this person prayed over me. This was back, I think, in like 2002, and I got saved in 2004. After this person uh, prayed for me for the next three days, I was just thinking about the power of God. Oh, God is powerful. Oh, God is, I didn't know him, but I, I knew this fact about him, that he was powerful. I remember crossing the bridge and, and looking at the river flowing underneath and the humongous clouds in the sky and the lightning. And I thought, oh, wow, God is powerful. So I knew these facts about God and these truths about God, but I didn't know him personally. It wasn't until 2004 when I was told that Jesus Christ is alive and he wants a relationship with you. He reveals himself to you. It wasn't until that moment that I came to know him. When I understood that information and called on his name and he revealed himself to me, everything changed. I thought, oh, he is real. This is, Christianity is all about a relationship. It's all about knowing God personally and intimately. Uh, a commentator, F.F. F. Bruce, says, this knowledge of God is not simply a matter of intellectual apprehension. It involves a personal relationship. You see, Christianity, it's all about a personal relationship with the living God with Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and you, you've never connected with Jesus, I want you to know something. He's alive. He's the one who made you. He's the one who loves you. And he did something for you. He died on a cross for all of the sins, all of the bad things that you have done. And he came back to life after three days and he's here tonight. You can't see him, but he's here. And he says, if you will put your trust in me, a simple prayer, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I want you in my life. If you'll ask him to come into your life and to be your savior, he says, I'll reveal myself to you. I'll forgive all of your sins and I'll give you the greatest gift that exists. It's eternal life, a relationship with me and a relationship with the father. And you'll spend eternity with us in heaven. There's nothing better and having a relationship with Jesus. And so if you don't know him tonight, my exhortation to you is to call upon his name. Now for those of us in here who do know the Lord, who have come to faith in him, our relationship with Jesus is to be numero uno, number one. 
He is at the top of our list. Our number one priority and person in life is to be Jesus Christ. More than just an acquaintance. More than someone that we just check in with on Sundays and on Wednesdays and three times a day when we eat our meals. He wants to have a deep relationship with you. You see, Jesus knows everything about us. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs he put on your head. He knows even the very thoughts of your heart. And he wants you to know him in similar fashion as well. He doesn't want you just to know his name. He wants you to know his nature. He wants you to know what he likes and and what he dislikes. He wants to have that deep communion with you. That's pretty cool. That God of the universe wants to have a deep relationship with you. You know, I think of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I count everything but dung for their surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. When he wrote that, he had been a Christian for like 30 years. He had done great exploits for God. And at the top of his list, he says, Jesus, Jesus is number one. There is nothing better than knowing him. And then later on in that chapter, verse 10, he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. In other words, there's so much more to Jesus than I could ever imagine. I wanna know him better than I know him now, than I know him today. I can never exhaust him. He's that wonderful and that incredible. Now Jesus says something pretty cool. He says, you're a gift. He says, you're a gift. You're a gift from God the Father to God the Son. In eternity past, God the Father chose you to be a gift to his son. What does that mean? That means you're special. That means you're precious in the sight of Jesus Christ. You're priceless to him. And he would pay any price for you, and he did. The price of his own blood. And he would like nothing more than to connect with you on a deep on a daily basis, to have that deep, intimate relationship with him. So, I think that's pretty cool. So, don't take your relationship with the Lord for granted. It's so wonderful. So, uh, Jesus prays for glory, first of all, because his glory brings glory to God the Father. Secondly, because it brings eternal life to us. And then finally, he prays for glory because it rightfully belongs to him. He prays for glory because it rightfully belongs to him. Look at verse five. He says, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. One more time. Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. You see, this is a verse that declares the preexistence and the deity of Jesus Christ. It declares the preexistence and the deity of Jesus Christ. So before Bethlehem, before the, the womb of the Virgin Mary, before the world began, Jesus is saying, I shared glory with God the Father. That's an interesting statement. Very interesting. If you read Isaiah chapter 42 in verse eight, verse eight 
God says, I am the Lord God and my glory I will not share with another. And yet Jesus here is saying, I shared glory with you before the world began. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm God. It's a deity verse. Jesus is declaring himself God, one with the Father. So I'm God. I shared glory with you before the world began. But to come down and to save us, to rescue us from our sins, Jesus had to do something. He had to lay aside his glory. Philippians chapter two and verse six says that he did not count equality with God something that he needed to grasp. He didn't need to hold on to it. And so he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. You know, when Jesus was down here on earth, he wasn't seen as this glorious God. He wasn't seen as the glorious God who sat enthroned above the circle of the earth. He was just a humble rabbi. That's the way people saw him. And humility wasn't something that was highly exalted in those days. The Pharisees and all of the religious rulers, they made fun of Jesus and they mocked Jesus because he hung out with sinners. They said that he was possessed by a demon. And they said that he was born of adultery. You see, they didn't see him. They didn't see all of his glory. He laid that aside so he could come down here to save us. He laid aside the glory of being known as God and took the form of a servant. In John chapter 13, I think it's a beautiful illustration. Jesus is he's at the dinner table with all of the guys and, and they need to wash their feet, but Apparently, no one's going to do it. The slave isn't there, the slave who normally washes their feet. And so Jesus gets up from supper, and he's wearing that glorious robe, the robe of the rabbi, the seamless robe, the expensive robe, the robe that distinguished him and set him apart from everyone else, the robe that the Roman guards were willing to gamble for because it was worth so much money. And so Jesus gets up, and he takes off that glorious robe. He lays it aside and he puts on the towel of the servant. He puts on the towel of the slave and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. A beautiful illustration of him laying aside his glory in heaven and coming down and, and putting on the towel of humanity for the purpose of serving us for the purpose of washing us clean from all of our sins. So he laid aside his glory, but now Jesus said, says, it's time to take it back again. It's time to go back to my rightful position. It's gonna come through the cross and then through my resurrection and through my ascension back to the right hand of God the Father with angels powers and authorities being made subject to me. And so the glory belongs to Jesus because he is God. When Jesus is glorified, God the Father is glorified. And when Jesus is glorified, that brings eternal life to us. So through Jesus' prayer, we learn what's important to him. 
And what's important to Jesus? That he is glorified. How is he to be glorified? Through the cross. And so what was the focus of Jesus' life? What was on his heart? What was on his mind? What was he thinking about day in and day out? The cross. And so what should be important to us? What should be the focus of our life? What should we be thinking about? The cross. That should be the focus of our life. And so make it your prayer. Father, I want my life to be a life that points out and acknowledges all the wow factors of Jesus. And I see those on the cross. And so Father, make me a cross-centered and focused Christian. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and for your word. Your word is so powerful. And tonight we're just looking at the prayer of your son, Jesus. And there's so much there. We learn what's important to him. His glory. Because his glory brings glory to you and it brings life to us and it rightfully belongs to him. And we, Father, want to be a people that are all about the glory of God. A people who are focused on the cross of Jesus Christ because it's there where we see your love and your mercy and your grace and your justice put on display for all of the world to see. So, Father, I pray that you would write these truths on the tablets of our heart and help us to focus and meditate on them. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.